fake news. <laughs> Have you heard of it? Yeah. It's a buzzword now, but it has the potential of a global disaster. It really does. Just think about this with me. Today, more than any other time, at least in my lifetime, I'm seeing people confused. They are no longer able to distinguish between truth and fiction. The proliferation of the social media, of course, has something to do with that. In fact, I'm told that about 76% of adults in America get their news from the social media. And yet, the Internet, of course, being a major hub of now news, can be a major hub of also fake news. Why? Well, because the Internet makes it easy for anyone to publish anything and say anything and no checks and balances. But here's the sadder part. So many of the major news outlets also publish fake news, and they make it look like facts. Some of them, of course, get caught, and then they apologize afterward. (laughs) But they only publish fake news if it fits their bias narrative. Today I see and I hear people everywhere asking the question, whom can we trust? Whom can we believe? Now, beloved, please listen carefully, because this has potential for global catastrophe. When there is a complete collapse in what is really true and what is not, disaster can only be following behind. Read history. Yet, the tragedy of all tragedies is that these fake news, these false news, are now preached from many a pulpit across America. No, I'm not talking about political news, and I'm not talking about social news, and I'm not talking about military news. I am talking about the good news of the gospel, the truth of God's Word. The news of the gospel has been so falsified by many a church, the inerrancy of the Word of God is now mocked in many an evangelical churches and replaced by a popular message. It was my friend, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, who once said, it is better to be hated for telling the truth than loved by telling a lie. It is better to stand alone with the truth than be wrong with the multitudes. I want to say amen belongs here. And beloved, that's precisely what Peter is telling us here in this passage today. As we come in the third in the series of messages, it's never too late. From the second epistle of Peter, I already told you this is a forgotten epistle. Very few people preach from it. Let's all quote it. And so I want you to turn with me, please, to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21, as Peter begins to sense in his spirit that his time for departing this life is drawing near. And therefore, he begins to share the biggest burden of his heart. And the biggest burden of his heart for the church of Jesus Christ, not that the church be financially well endowed, not that church of Jesus Christ be merely socially accepted in society, or that the church members are popular, 
or that the church members are accommodating well to the pressure of the secular humanism, or that the church members are happy, but that the church of Jesus Christ and the church members are armed with the truth, that the church members are not be misled by fake gospels, by fake news, <laughs> and that the church members are not taken in by these falsehoods, that the church members do not fall victims of this false biblical interpretation, that the church members do not believe this popular lies. And so in verse 12, all the way to 15, Peter is saying, that as long as he has breath, as long as he's living in this body, which he calls a tent, he will never tire from proclaiming the truth, that he will not get bored or be dissuaded from repeating the truth. Why? Because as a Jew who knew his Old Testament only too well, he knows what a fickle memory his people have. And you need only to read Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Every time they face a problem, they forgot the truth of God. How prone they were to want to please their flesh instead of the God who delivered them. How easily they wanted to go back to Egypt after all that God has done for them. And so, before we start pointing fingers at the Israelites, let's Think of how easily persuaded so many people in the professing church today, people I know who sat under the Word of God and who know the truth and now turn their back on it, churches that once proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise, now they mock it. They easily forget the truth. They easily fall in the temptation of accommodating to what is popular. They're easily persuaded to take the easy way out. And so, in verse 12, he said, I will not cease to repeatedly remind you of the truth. Verse 13, as long as I'm in this tent, which the Bible talks about the body. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about the tent. And when Jesus said, you have a mansion in the sky, we think that we're going to get a big palace. But what the Bible does in the Semitic language is that he compares this body and he calls it a tent because a tent will fold. Every one of us, our tent will fold one day. But then Jesus prepared for his own children a spiritual body that is awaiting them. And in comparison, that spiritual body is a mansion in comparison to this tent because it will be a body without any limitation. So he said, as long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to stir you up. Verses 14 and 15, Peter is only too aware of the brevity of life, that he is only too aware that time is coming to an end. For every one of us, my beloved friends, that day is coming. And no matter how much we think that it will never come to us, it's going to come to every one of us. And we will dispose with this body, when we will dispose with this tent, when this tent will fold and our souls will be closed, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, be closed with that spiritual body, a body like Jesus' body after the resurrection. Please, let everyone ask yourself the question, what will I say on that day when I'm going to have an audience of one with Him? Let that question haunt you. 
Never let it depart from your mind and from your thoughts. For some, you need to ask yourself the question, where will I spend eternity? Where will I spend eternity? Will I hear from the lips of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, or will I hear, what have you done? In verses 16 to 21, Peter explains why he is so patient about constantly and repeatedly unfolding the truth of the gospel. He is unfolding it without compromise, without watering it down, without make it popular to the masses, without accommodating to the pressure of a perverted culture, without trading the truth for personal popularity. No, verse 16, he said, For we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please hear me right. It is very popular in many evangelical churches today. And I'm not talking about mainline denial. I'm talking about evangelical churches that say that you do not have to believe in the virgin birth. You do not have to believe in Noah and the flood. You don't have to believe in Jonah being in the belly of the whale. You don't have to believe this, and you don't have to believe that. And so they pick and choose like a smorgasbord. Beloved, let me tell you something about the slippery slope. The first thing it does, it questions the integrity of Jesus. It really does. I want to explain that to you. The problem with this fake news is that it's preached and believed. But Jesus' integrity is on the line here. For He, Jesus, who was in the Father, with the Father, before all the foundation of the earth, who preexisted with the Father, for whom all things were made, He was there when these things, these historical events happened. And He Himself affirmed the creation, and Noah, and the flood, and Jonah, in the belly of the whale. And all of these historical events, he affirmed them again and again. And therefore, whether they are wittingly or unwittingly, and I'm not judging the people, I'm judging what they say, they are accusing Jesus of lacking integrity by not exposing these lies. If they were lies, wouldn't you think Jesus would say, you know these guys, the the story of Noah and the flood, this is really figure of speech. You know, this Jonah and and his disobedience and being in the the belly of the well, that's just, it's really the illustration to make a point. But he didn't. Why would Jesus liken his death to that of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. He said, as Jonah. Why would he say that the last days, our last days, are going to be like unto the days of Noah, where they marry and given in marriage and is living for self and and self-indulgence? Why would he do that? Here is the truth. Listen carefully. Peter said that we are witnesses of these truths. You have to ask yourself the question, why? Why is Peter making an issue of all this? Why? Why is he making an issue of this? Because in his day, as in our days, there were false preachers who are preaching fake news. Furthermore, history tells us that Peter himself 
when they were going to crucify him, he asked specifically not to be crucified like his master, but rather be crucified upside down. Let me tell you something. Nobody would be crucified upside down for a tale or for a fable or for fake news. Now, these fables fill other religions. I know it. I read it. It is there in their books. And yet, there were hundreds, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people who watched firsthand and experienced the resurrected Jesus. His resurrection was not done in secret. It was revealed 500 people in one day. But tales belong to other religions. I'll give you one example, just one example. The founder of Islam, who in his travel around Arabia came across people who are Christian heretics known as the Nestorians. He came across Jews and Jewish tribes in Arabia, and he heard somehow that all the prophets have visited Jerusalem. He was told that Abraham visited Jerusalem. He was there to offer his son as sacrifice nearby, and that Jesus, whom he calls a prophet, was in Jerusalem. He's never been to Jerusalem, and he wants to kind of affirm himself to be just an equal prophet to all of these. And, And so he woke up one morning, and he said, guess what, boys? In the middle of the night, in the middle of the night when nobody can see him, angels came, and they took him to Jerusalem. And he saw Jerusalem and came back in the morning. No eyewitnesses, not a single piece of factual evidence. Tales. His successors after him thought, ah, if he went to Jerusalem, then we need to go and invade it. And they did brutally invade it. That was Christian land at the time. And they destroyed, and they took over the the temple, and they built a mosque on top of it. I think it's the most recognizable mosque. We, We call it the Dome of the Rock, all because of a fable. None of that is found in Scripture with Jesus. None of that truth about Christ. Jesus Himself said, I did nothing in secret. Himirat, please. The way Satan operates even in many a church today is this. He will bring doubt to the truth. And in a sense, he's basically saying this truth is a lie. And once you think the truth is a lie, and we're seeing it before our very eyes right now. We're seeing it with our own eyes. What happens after a while, people become confused. And when they become confused, they're going to throw their hands up in the air and say, we don't know what the truth is anymore. A Southern Baptist pastor of a large church who just left the Southern Baptist Convention, he declared before leaving the Southern Baptist Convention, he said, I don't know what the truth is, but I know what love is. Really? And Peter is saying, now let me put it in the use of words, okay? It's not in the Scripture. I want to make sure of that. You know that it's my words. He's saying, don't listen to these babbling twerps. I think he really wanted to say that. (laughs) They only want your spiritual and eternal ruin and their own financial gain. They only want to confuse you all the way to perdition. But instead of listening 
To them, listen to me, who is an eyewitness of these events. Listen to me, for I followed Jesus for more than three years. I, along with James and John, were experienced with our own presence, the majestic power of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We heard the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We saw Moses and Elijah coming down from heaven to testify to Jesus' Messiahship. We saw His power manifested, uh, healing the sick and raising the dead. We are here to testify that this happened just as it was said in the Scripture. He warned me before I denied Him that I will deny him three times, and I did. I, along with John, entered into the empty tomb on that Sunday morning, and there we saw the tomb was empty. We saw the resurrected Christ. It was not our imagination, for we ate with him on the Sea of Galilee. We actually saw that he was not in the tomb. We actually saw the resurrected Jesus, and he came to us on the first day of the week, the following Sunday, when the doors were all locked, and he came in our midst, and he told us, peace be to you. And then, so patiently, so lovingly, because Thomas was not there, he came back a week later, and he let Thomas feel the marks of the nails in his hands and feet. And Peter's saying, listen to me, because I can never forget that he looked at me. And he said, Peter, feed my sheep. And that is why I'm feeding you on the power of the Word of God. I'm not giving you dogs and cat food that the false teachers are giving you, and not even fake news that mislead you. The reason I will not give up warning you and pleading with you and entreating you is because I promised him that I will feed you on the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Look at verse 19. Peter saying to us and to everyone who would listen, the Word of God is a light. It's a light. Don't choose to follow fake news. It can only take you to darkness. Its word is light. It shines the light of Christ into your hearts. I was thinking about this, and I thought of something I will never forget. You know, there's some things in life that you just don't ever forget, no matter what. In 1980, is my first time to visit the pharaonic tombs in the south part of Egypt. And I will never forget the guide taking us to one of those pharaonic tombs, a very famous one. And then he took us with a flashlight. He was lighting the, with a flashlight because it was so dark inside. So dark you can't see your hand in front of you. It was so dark, but he's leading us with a flashlight. So we go inside and line up inside the tomb, pitch black, as dark as can be. Even after being there for two minutes, our eyes still cannot accustom to the darkness. And then he stood outside the door, and he comes up with a mirror outside the door of the tomb. And he angles the mirror a certain way toward the sun. And that room was filled with dazzling light. Beloved, that's what happens when you place your trust in the Word of God. The light of Christ will come and will fill your heart 
Another story I heard growing up in the Middle East about this Bedouin who got up in the middle of the night in his tent, hungry, starving, looking for something to eat. So he lit the candle, and he went around looking in his tent, trying to find some food. And finally, he sees a small plate of dates. He said, that's good enough. So he takes the date back to his mat where he's lying down, and he picks up the first date, takes it very close to the light of the candle, and sure enough, he sees this worm, big worm, just squirming outside of the date. So he tossed it out. He picked up another one. Same thing, worm. Another, so tossed it out. Another one, a worm coming out. Well, he knew in his mind, he said, man, if I keep throwing these dates out, I'm going to be hungry. So what he did, what so many people do in the spiritual realm, he snuffed the candlelight and ate the dates. Worms and all. Worms and all. Beloved, this is what's happening today. And that is why Peter is warning us against snuffing the light of the Word of God and eating the worms. He is warning us against eating the spiritual worms that can only, only, only damage our hearts and minds. He is saying, when the Holy Spirit sees in any of us, a genuine desire, a genuine desire of wanting the light of Christ and the light of the Word of God to shine in us. He comes, the Holy Spirit comes like a magnifying glass and that focuses the light of the Word of God and illumine our hearts. But the opposite is also true. Listen to me very carefully. A lot of people stumble over this. If you are one of the elect of God, if you're saved and you're living in disobedience, and you choose to live in the darkness of immorality, the Holy Spirit of God goes into a corner and grieves. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit? The light of Christ and the light of the Word of God will illumine your life. Allow the Spirit of God to take the words that He authored to shine deep into your heart. And only then will you be able to clearly see and distinguish the difference between the real news, the good news, and fake news, between the truth and the falsehood. The light will expose all of these lies that are making their way among evangelical churches— a lie like says Jesus is a way, not the way. Or a lie like that says that Jesus is just the founder of another religion like the other founders. Or the lie that says that love should not only make us accept people but approve their immoral lifestyle. Or the lie that says that being a Christian means that you embrace sinfulness and perversion. Uh, the lie that says that love compels us to never condemn sin, whether it be a sin in our lives or the sin in other people's lives, or the inclusion into the church membership of those who reject the truth of the Bible as an act of kindness. That's not kindness. That's cruelty. The list goes on and on and on. Let me tell you something you already know. 
lying has always been around. Ever since the serpent lied to Eve, lying has always been around. But I want to submit to you that it has reached an endemic proportion. It's epidemic now. So much so that the truth sounds stranger than fiction. It's like someone asked, how many legs a dog would have if you called the tail a leg? You got that? Some of you thinking hard. (laughs) Still has four legs. Calling the tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. (laughs) Think about this. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was so ecstatic, he just wanted to stay there forever. I can understand that. <laughs> Sometimes we all want to, when we see the glory of Christ, we want to be with Him. We don't want to come down into the valley and deal with the problems of life. Sure. He said, let's have a booth for you and for Moses. We want to stay here. And that is why he says, look, we saw with our eyes, we've experienced firsthand the majesty of the Lord Jesus. Finally, verses 20 to 21, he is telling us that you can trust the Word of God because it came from God. All this false preaching about, well, this part was relevant uh, two centuries ago in the first century, but not now. A smorgasbord, you pick and choose. This was relevant then, but it's not relevant today. This was this and this was that. You know, all that stuff. Peter here absolutely tears it to shreds. Verses 20 and 21, you can trust the Word of God no matter who throws doubt on it, no matter who throws cold water on its authenticity. Those words in the Scripture, he said, written by human beings, but the Holy Spirit of God edited every one of their thoughts and words. These writers, 40 of them, have written in the Word of God in the span of 1,600 years, and yet they all write the same story. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God guided their thoughts and their hands. Don't you ever doubt it? When do you ever doubt it? Give God glory. Give God glory. I'm so grateful that He preserved it. So many dust spots and so many enemies want to destroy the Word of God, but He preserved it for us. How grateful should we be for that, huh? Notice the word all. Can you say all? All. He says, all Scripture was written by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Not the bits you like and the bits you don't like. No, no. All Scripture. It is all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and for righteousness. All Scripture. Let's say it again all Scripture. I'm going to tell you this story as I conclude. It's a true story of a church, like many of the thousands of churches, at least I know dozens of them, who many years ago the gospel was proclaimed boldly, truthfully, but today no more. It's one of those churches where The pastor preached the whole counsel of God, preached the whole Word of God, trusted in the integrity of the Word of God, and the authenticity that the Holy Spirit authored the Word of God. 
when he died, the church called one of those pastors, those modern pastors who was doubting some parts of the Scripture. He doubted the historicity of the flood. He doubted the historicity of Jonah. He doubted the historicity of the virgin birth, despite the fact that the very divinity of Christ depended on it. And so after two years of preaching this doubt to that congregation, many people would just sit there in tears over what happened to their beloved church. He found out that one of the stalwart members of the church was terminally ill and is dying. And so he decided to go and pay him a visit. This man who served on the board of the church, a man who loves the Word of God, trusted the Word of God all these years. And so the pastor said to him, I know you love the Word of God. Do you want me to read from the Bible? And the man said, yes, please. He said, well, I didn't bring my Bible with me. Can I borrow yours? The man gladly took his Bible, gave it to him. And the pastor opened that Bible, and he found that many pages torn out. Some whole chapters were missing. There were actually some verses that methodically, either with a scissors or razor blade, were taken out. I mean, it was highly mangled volume of the Scripture. And the pastor kind of was reluctant, didn't want to say anything, but then finally he said, do you have another Bible? Do you have a better Bible than this? This is just all mangled up. And, and the dying man responded, when you came to our church, I believed the entire book. But as you told us certain sections were not true, I removed them. As you told us, some stories are probably fables and, and, and fictional. I tore them up out of the book. I think if I sat under your preaching one more year, I would have nothing left of the Bible except the two covers. Beloved, I know and you know that we live in uncertain times. But don't let that uncertainty lead you to following fake news, fake gospel, or fake preachers. Will you pray with me? Lord, while we grieve over everyone, especially those who are known to us, who have followed after fake news, we are here to plead with the Holy Spirit to put a hedge around our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our souls, that we would not follow suit, that we would stand and stand firm regardless of the cost, no matter how unpopular the message will become. Father, I pray for every person at the sound of my voice that not a soul not a single soul would be lost. Those who don't know you will come to know you today. And those who know you and love you, the love for you be manifested in the love for your word. And unashamedly believe all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.